Good morning. Thanks for sticking with me, you guys. Yesterday, uh, no, not yesterday, two days ago, uh, my iPad broke and I lost my car keys all in the same moment. And I thought, you know, but the joke's on you because you're actually listening to a guy that can't even keep his car keys. So actually, it's my joke. Anyway, it's so great. I have loved sharing with you. It's been very special. I have Tim and Joan uh, as teammates. It's been incredible. I'm going to have Tim do something uh, that he did for the summer staff this morning. I'm going to have him finish, finish our, uh, our week of teaching tonight with uh, a great illustration. I'm really excited for dinner tonight. So, and because they've been amazing, haven't they? Been doing awesome. So, um, I, I, let me just summarize real quick before I jump in. Today we're talking about Jesus over fear in nature, okay? So this is like Jesus has these huge themes at the beginning of Mark that he wants people to know. And remember, Jesus comes small. And then week two, we talked about Jesus, uh, you know, the talk to Jesus of the if only. Then Jesus, the rule breaker, people are more important than rules. And then Jesus of the new kind of family, um, and then today we're talking about Jesus over fear of nature. And then tonight we're going to talk about Jesus for the world. Because one of the things that he really wants people to know in the early part of Mark is he's for everybody. It's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. And so as I was thinking about this, in this Jesus of, uh, over fear of nature, I realized that some of our fear comes out of these other situations. They come out of the pain of our life or relationships with our families. In fact, I was just telling the guys right here, it's interesting, I was so hurt when uh, my siblings didn't, if you were here last night, didn't join in with me. Remember me telling you this? And I was read, uh, reading, a, about a week later, I was reading the scripture, and God brought the, the Proverbs to me that says, better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. And because my siblings all lived in Memphis, I was in the Detroit area, 750 miles away. Literally, God was bringing me neighbors who became my brothers and sisters who who really had the heart of doing God's will and God's call in our life together. And then we did that for, a lot of us have been doing it for almost 35 years together. It's pretty, pretty awesome. So anyway, today I want to talk about Jesus over fear and nature, but especially over fear. And I want to just want to remind you, who is Jesus? What we're learning through Mark, as Mark goes on, is he's bigger than we thought. He comes small, but he keeps getting bigger. He keeps getting bigger and bigger to the issues of our life. But here's one of the huge problems. The problem is we're all afraid, and we're likely to give in to that fear. Like, think, think right now your greatest fear. Everybody's got them. Like, does it, tell me, raise your hand if it comes to your mind instantly, your greatest fear, okay? I'm not going to ask you to share them because some of that might be too personal, but it might be the, how, how your kids are going to do it. It might be personal health. It might be public speaking. I was telling these guys, I said, I've always had a fear of public speaking my whole life. Never wanted to be a speaker, but it was part of what Jesus called me to do. And here's what's really interesting. Whenever I come to speak, I feel anxiety and fear. And then every time when I start, it's like the Holy Spirit allows me to forget about myself. I t in fact, I don't even worry about whether it's a good talk or a bad talk. And that's probably a bad thing because I probably should worry about that. But I don't. All of a sudden, all I think about is the people that I'm with and, and how much God loves you and how much delight God takes in you. And then I start to feel that delight too. And so all of a sudden, then it's not about me anymore. It's just about us experiencing the presence of God. So the problem, though, is we're all afraid. And we're likely to give into that fear. 
And actually, my greatest fear, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to just get super vulnerable here. My greatest fear is having to be in the Gull Lake Talent Show. <laughs> there is nothing that could strike greater fear into me. And it was about five years ago, there was a rowdy group from uh, uh, Ohio that wrote me in to probably the worst skit, talent skit that's ever been done. And believe me, when you talk about the Gull Lake Talent Show, you, that's saying a lot. But, uh, <laughs> but everybody has fears. And I remember the first time that I ever felt crippled by fear uh, in terms of kind of in a, in, a, in a more of an adult setting. I was, um, my mom made me go to Marshall Jemison's 13th birthday party. Uh, Marshall's mom, uh, Peg, was my mom's best friend. They were in kindergarten together. In fact, Peg and my mom were part of a group of nine girls that went to kindergarten together that continued to meet for lunch into their 90s. They met together for 85 years before the first one of them died. And now there are two left. Mom, mom passed in September, but uh, Julia Allen and Peg Jimson are still alive. But anyway, I had to go to Marshall Jimson's party, not because I knew him, but because he was the son of my, one of my mom's best friends. And so I got there. And here's the thing. I was at Snowden Junior High School getting ready to go to Memphis Central High School, which was the first fully integrated high school inner city in Memphis. All of the kids that were there, all the boys went to Memphis University School, and we hated them because we would play them in sports and lose to them, and, and then if, we, if on the occasion that we did win, their chant was, uh, that's all right, that's okay, you'll still work for us someday. <laughs> Can you imagine? That is mean. <laughs> you know? And so I got to this, and I, I was used to just hanging out with normal kids where where everybody was really dressed up for the party because it was mostly wealthy families, friends, friends of my parents, their kids. And, you know, everybody's kind of walking, 13 years old, kind of, you know, hey, Steve, how are you? you know? I was absolutely overcome with anxiety and fear. And I literally remember trying to drink a glass of Coke, and my hand was literally trembling the whole, the whole time I was at the party. And when the party was over, Mom picked me up, and, and they were all friends, and, and I got in the car, and I yelled at my mom. I said, let me tell you something. I am never going to another party like that. I don't care what you say. And my mom, she's a very tender person. She goes, you listen to me, young man. <laughs> she goes, I want you to know something. She said, you need to wake up and realize that everywhere you go, people are at least as nervous and afraid as you are, if not more so. And someone's got to break the ice and make the difference. And man, I really appreciated that moment. That meant a lot to me. No, of course not. It really ticked me off. But it never left me. So it was, so it was my mom that really started to be aware of what other people are feeling, if you can. And so as you think about all the fears, we know that people are filled with fear. So as I'm talking about this today, I know this is a real thing for every one of us. So it, it isn't just, you know, it'd be public speaking, but I, I remember, uh, I haven't talked a lot about it this week. You could go back to past Gull Lake weeks where I, uh, I talked a lot about our marriage went off the rails for five years. Uh, we really struggled. We didn't know if we were going to make it. We, we, didn't, we felt like we were never going to be happy again. And I remember just being having a ton of fear that we weren't going to be able to make it. And we did. 
at least until we made it to the today. <laughs> no, actually, I would tell you that was 1993 uh, to, to the end of 1997, five years. So it's been, so if you take 98, it's been 25 years. The last 20, 25 years have really been incredible, way better than we ever thought after those five years. And one of the things that was interesting, we were so afraid, not, not only were we struggling, but how's it going to affect our children? And it's interesting, our kids have no memory or recognition. We pressed into it. Um, but then I remember later our kids rebelled. Uh, there was a lot more pressure being, being the kids of, you know, of people who were leading a kind of a large church. And we were trying not to put that expectation on them. We found out later other people were putting that expectation on them all the time. Like, hey, well, you're Steve Andrews' son. You ought to be, you know, you're Paul Andrews' you know, daughter, you should be do- doing this or that. And so some of them, they really went through a period of rebelling. And I remember fear, this was for both of us, fear would wake us up in the middle of the night. And we'd be awake till, you know, I, I just remember I, I started hating 3 a.m. in the morning. It was like, that was where, anybody ever had that? You just feel like Satan's got you and twisting you every which way. And so, I just realized I've lived with fear my whole life. And yet Jesus came to say, I, I want you to live above fear. Like, Tim, 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 you're afraid of asking for money. Like, I love asking for money. <laughs> I really do. I can't wait. I love fundraising now. I used to be nervous about it. And, uh, man, you know, every time something great happened, I'm like, yeah, man, bring it on. Let's shake them out. Let's, <laughs> let's take another offering for Greenland, you know. And so, but everybody's got different fears. And here's what I want you to know, that Jesus wants you to know about about your fear. Okay, there's a couple things that you need to know. Number one, there's always a storm brewing for everyone. This is just what it means to be human. I would be absolutely shocked if there was even one person in this room or one person's going to listen to this talk someday that's not in a storm right now. There's just this, like, unless you're living in a closet, which you're not, there's so many things that we have to be fearful about. By the way, a storm is always brewing for everyone. By the way, I didn't finish my Frank Yates story. I left Frank Yates in the grasp of my father the other night. Anybody remember me telling you this the other night? Where dad grabbed Frank Yates in the elevator and he's getting ready to punch him instead, in, punch him in Christian love. And, and that whole thing happened. About 18 years later, I'm finishing college and uh, I'd gone to work in Detroit and I talked to my mom. And by the way, here's the thing I didn't tell you Frank, Mrs., Mrs. Yates was a super sweet lady. But they, what I didn't tell you is they lived on our street, three houses down. And we were friends with uh, uh, their daughter. Uh, Frankie H. Jr. was a jerk. He was about seven years older than me, and he was always trying to get the kids in trouble. Probably picked it up from his father, kind of the wound and the legacy being passed down. But here's the incredible thing. You talk about fear. Frankie H. was too big for God. He didn't need God in his life. He was, he was a very highly respected surgeon, although he wasn't loved. He was very competent, but not loved. By the way, uh, in business, you find that there, there are two things that make, make a person successful in business. One is they're, they're competent, and secondly, they bring well-being or they're kind. And it's interesting. They say if you're Harvard, the Harvard Business Study said if you're competent only, 
People respect you, but they won't love you. In fact, often they'll hate you. If you're kind, they'll love you, but they'll feel sorry for you, feel pity for you because you're not. But anyway, he had the competence, but he didn't have the, the well-being. Anyway, my mom calls me and goes, uh, Dr. Yates has had a stroke, and he's at home. And uh, so I thought about that uh, about six months later, talking to, talking to mom and dad. And we always talked every Sunday afternoon. Um, that was our tradition. And uh, mom goes, uh, your, dad, uh, your dad went over to see Frank. I'm like, really? Yeah. I said, well, what happened? She said, well, after he had the stroke, he was completely debilitated. He lost his speech. He was probably about, um, guessing, really wasn't that, probably my age, probably late 60s. And the only words he could say were G and D. He literally is laying in a bed, and the only language he has left is taking God's name. That's all he can say. Just God. That's all he can say. And he was there for months. Well, anyway, over about a period of six months, he started regaining some of his speech. And one of the first things that he said and he, he did not live long. He only lived a few months after the stroke. But he got to the point where he told Mrs. Yates, and I'm not making this up, my dad's, my dad's nickname his whole life was Chubby. It's a whole other story. Chubby Andrews, Dr. Chubby Andrews. But Frank, at a certain point, got enough speech to ask his wife, bring Chubby. To bring Chubby. He's in bed, completely debilitated, and couldn't say much. Dad walked in the room. Tears started pouring out of Frank's eyes. Can't talk, but he can weep. And Dad talked to him about Jesus, talked to him about, you know, Frank, you know where you're going. Do you have any confidence? And uh, they had a limited, probably, communication, but Dad felt like Frank's heart was just incredibly tender, and, you know, they could feel the grief and the fear. And dad prayed with him. You know, he, you know, we, again, don't know all the story, but prayed with him to receive Christ. And uh, Frank died a few weeks later. My point is this, is you, you might look at people that seem untouchable, but here's what you know. The storm is always brewing for everyone. And you, and you can't escape it. And so God wants us to know how to live and address that along the way. So here's the thing. When the storms come and beat upon the house, right? That's the parable that Jesus says. What, what are you going to build your, your life on? And so where there's two points that I want to give you today when we look at this about where, uh, where's Jesus? He's in the storm with you. That's what I want you to know. And then and, uh, he's in the storm with you. So that's where we have Mark 4. Let's, let's start there. I'm just going to talk about two Two storm scriptures in Mark that he wanted us to know. Uh, Mark 4, 35, he says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were other boats with him. And a furious squall came up. Do you see that? I love that phrase. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. This has to be one of our favorite stories, isn't it? Stories about Jesus. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
He's doing the rock and roll voice this morning when he started Family Huddle. I, I, I don't know, man. Family Huddle is still, that's the best 30, 30 minutes of the year every morning. It's just incredible. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, like more than afraid, mega afraid. And even the winds and the wave obey him. So I just want you to, I just want to walk, walk through this simply from the scripture. Number one, it says they took Jesus. And uh, you, you can look, look at this slide. It's interesting. It's like, they're like, we got this. You just, Jesus, you know, you've done a lot of cool things. And we're, this is your moment. We got it. We're taking over you go back and take a nap. I might be making up, making up that a little bit. It's like, we got it. We're sailors. We're fishermen. But you got to remember, nobody would, probably none of them would have known how to swim. It's very likely that, that, you know, people just didn't swim. They were in the boat, but their life was dependent on staying safe in the boat. And so they took Jesus and they say, we got it. Don't even worry about it. And then this furious storm, and you'll love this, the Greek word for furious is mega, megas. In other words, the, it would literally meant it was great in its dimensions. Now, if you've been to the Sea of Galilee, it's a little hard to believe because the Sea of Galilee is just not that, remember, I, we've talked about it, it's just not that great of a lake. It's probably six or seven times bigger than Gull Lake, but it's still not a huge lake. But it is surrounded by mountains, and apparently people have been there when there were really, really tough storms. And the other thing is, if you go there, they have a museum now where they dug up a boat, fishing boat, from 2,000 years ago. And I should have, if I was a better speaker, I'd have had a picture of it for you, but you can Google it. And, but it's not very big. It would have been a boat for, you know, three or four at the most fishermen, maybe three would have been even better. And you can see where, you know, with the story when Jesus said they caught 150 fish, you can see where it could actually tip these, this boat over. So they're worried. It's a furious squall, and here the Greek word is lelops, and it means a whirlwind. In other words, the wind is just, it's knocking them everywhere. It's a violent attack of wind. And then this is the part I love. This is where Jesus is sleeping. Look at this. Jesus, the Greek word, literally means to drop off to sleep, like to conk out. Jesus is just... Um, you know, had a huge encounter with the crowds. Again, the crowds are chasing him. He's having no time. Remember, we read earlier to eat or to rest. And then he just, he's like dead asleep. And the, he's cocked out in the back of the boat, literally ready to sink. And then they say, don't you care that we are being destroyed? Don't you care that we are being destroyed? This is amazing. It's such an important question for everyone. In fact, when you are in fear, I, I'm curious, does this question come to you? Does this question come to you? Like, do you care about me? Um, in the years that I had my chronic back pain after getting injured playing for Wheaton College, football powerhouse of the Midwest, um, I just remember, like, God, don't you care? Like, I, I'm married. I, we've got kids. I'm trying, I'm trying to do your will, and I'm living with these, back, these horrible back spasms. And I was like, I don't think you do care, if, if I'm honest. And that's exactly what they're feeling. So it says that he was aroused from sleep, literally yanked out of a deep sleep, and then he rebukes the wind. 
He literally chides it. This is, this is really cool. He got up, aroused from sleep, and then he rebukes it to censure it, like, hold, hush, hold your peace. And then the, then the next part is just as cool. Fimu, it's like uh, these two words together, it's like shut your mouth. It's like close it with a muzzle. He like just wraps up the wind and stops it, and everything is calm. Now, I, I was thinking about that shut your mouth thing because I was uh, on this trip to Africa. We were with people from all over the country. We were always teasing about family mottos. Like, uh, like what's your family motto? And Because uh, like the Andrews family motto, I, I tell this everywhere we go, uh, the Andrews family motto is we may not be much, but we're all we think about. And uh, so different ones were, uh, you know, I actually made a list of all of them. One of the guys, an English, uh, sixth-generation English rancher in South Africa, a guy that I hunt with, Merrick Bowker, he goes, our family motto is, shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> so this is like what Jesus, anyway, I just thought about that. That's exactly the Jesus motto in the storms is, shut your mouth when you're talking to me. He wraps it up. You know, he's like he shuts the storm down with a muzzle. Anyway, I think it almost connects. <laughs> it's almost good. And then it, it's calm. Well, now what's the best part of the story? The best part of the story, it's calm now. They're not going to die. Now they're what? They're really afraid. They're mega afraid. It's literally, you know, the words, the Greek phrases, they're mega afraid. And here's why. Because he's more than they thought he was. Now, I told you at, at the beginning of the week, from my journey the last few years, I talk to people that feel like Jesus is too small, that there's this grand experiment about kind of a new humanity of how we're all going to live and we don't really need a Savior, you know, sin really, you know, and Jesus really is too small for the complex problems of the world. And um, here's my prayer for people in my family, uh, for people I love, for you, is that all of us would live this life where he's more, we find out he's more than we thought he was. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like Jesus is just more than we ever, ever thought he could be. That's, that's my prayer. And I think I would encourage you, again, I, I give you these things. These are just things that I've done. But the homework is start making a list of names of the people you're praying for that in your heart, you would have inexpressible joy if they discovered Jesus more than they thought he was. And I, I have a list of those names in my, in my notes of the people I just say, Lord, someday might they know more. And sometimes we hear those stories uh, that God reaches people sometimes when we didn't think that he could re reach them. I have so many stories actually like that. I was thinking of my, my high school football coach, Al Cates. Uh, he was just a foul-mouthed, crazy coach. And years later, he really came to know Christ. It didn't have anything to do with me. You know, thought of uh, Mark, Mark Warren, one of the guys I played football with, who mocked, mocked, my, mocked my faith. I didn't ever punch him in the mouth like my dad, but I thought about it. And um, when he became a Christian later in his late 20s, 
he dug around Memphis until he found my phone number and called me in Detroit to tell me he had become a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, I want to apologize for I want to apologize for my attitude when we were playing football together. In other words, God's reaching people in your life and at a certain point, we know Jesus is going to show that he's more than they thought. That's what he did for Frank Yates. That's what he did for us. And so that's really cool. So Jesus is in the storm, right? The storm is always brewing. Jesus is in the storm. But there's a second part of this. And theologically, like, right, I, I'm not, I'm, the, this, my next point is a little theologically incorrect. Because Jesus is always with you. You know, we sing worship songs where Holy Spirit, like, show up, come. I'm, I'm like, wait a second. He's here, right? God's with us, right? But what people are saying makes sense. They're like, we need to be aware that you're coming in and doing something. So the second point, my, my, my second point for today is that Jesus is not only in the storm, but he comes to us in the storm. And that's a different thing. There's moments where, like, you forget that Jesus is with you, but he's coming to you in the storm. So if a storm is in your life, not only is Jesus with you in the boat, in another sense, he's coming to you at the moment of your greatest fatigue and strain and discouragement. So like if you're discouraged, or when that discouragement comes, he's going to meet you in those moments. And, it's, and, and I tell you, those, those moments are coming. And they always come faster. I was reading a, a book on uh, leadership succession, and they were talking how the need to, to be succeeded in leadership. I, I stepped out of leading Kensington three years ago. I'm still on staff, still doing a lot. But it, it was so clearly after 30 years, it was time for me to, I let it for, started it, spent three years starting it with Mark and Dave and a great group of people, led it for 30 years. And it was so clear my time was done. And it was interesting, one of the things that I read, it said, your time to be done always comes faster than you think it does. Whoever you are, it's going to come faster than you thought. And so to be prepared to hand that over. And our first global partner, Jaya Sankar, one of my beloved friends, we had, together with him over the last 20 years, launched 600 churches in eastern Andhra Pradesh. We've had over, a thousand, over 2,000 orphans there, probably educated and brought up all the way to the end of their high school education um, you know, all, all the things that, that we were able to partner with Jaya. Well, Jaya just died suddenly of a heart attack six weeks ago. And in typical fashion in that culture, there, there are no succession plans. The number two guy in the ministry is incredible, but he is a different uh, caste level. He's not Brahmin. He's, he's the next level down, which means for him to lead, he can't really lead the other pastors that are Brahmin, and he doesn't have access into certain places in society. And so ministry's kind of in disarray right now because Jai didn't prepare. And he wasn't going to because he was such a fireball. He was going to go hard till the moment he fell dead of a, dead of a heart attack, which he did, which I, which I miss him. But I'm also kind of mad at him for not, not preparing this. So anyway... That Jesus is going to come in the storm at your, at your moment of greatest fatigue. So, let's look at the second scripture. Another, again, a short story. Immediately, again, that's Mark. He's always talking about immediately. Euthus just keeps going. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, going ahead of him to Bethsaida. And again, if you're, you're, you're sitting facing north, uh, you're facing north uh, in the Sea of Galilee, and you're just right there's Bethsaida right there. Just, you can 
It's still there, tons of it. So many of the markings are still there. The city, the, 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 the foundations of that city are still clearly there. And then he, he sent them on ahead and he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. This is, by the way, a much stranger storm story. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of a lake, and he was alone on land. And he saw, or literally watched, he's watching the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. It's not a whirlwind now, it's just a headwind of where they're trying to get to. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. This is, this gets weirder and weirder. He was about to pass by them. Like, it's just so, like, this is kind of a dumb story in a lot of ways. Like, I'm just going to walk out on the lake to see how they're doing, but I'm just going to walk by them. Okay, whatever. He's about to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. The, it's actually the word, an apparition, like a, like a mirage, an apparition. That's what they thought. <laughs> And they cried out, well, heck yeah, because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed or lifted himself up into the boat and the wind died down. And this time they're not really terrified. It says they were completely amazed. And again, he had just fed again on huge thousands of people, said for they had not understood about the loaves their hearts were hardened. In other words, they couldn't see. Again, they kept blinding their eyes to who Jesus actually was. Well, here's what I want to give you a couple of principles about Jesus coming to you in the storm. And I'm going to, some of them are going to be my theological, probably opinion, but I want you to think about it. Number one, when it says in, in, if you go back to verse 45, it says, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. This word made is really interesting it means he coerced them. It's basically the kind of like, like you're, you're going to eat your green peas and you're going to sit at the table until you eat them. Anybody ever had to do that? My Aunt Patty did that to me. I tried to chew them, spit them up in the napkin and pretend I had to go to the bathroom. Aunt Patty was absolutely, she, you couldn't fool her. She was like a, the pea Nazi. So, and and uh, I had to brought back and the ones that I'd spit into the napkin, I had to eat too. So, because she's like, no, you're not doing that. You're going to eat your peace. Jesus made them go into a storm that he knew was coming. I want you to think about that. Sometimes the storms aren't like the vicissitudes of life and just the natural circumstances of life or aging or situations. I think that sometimes Jesus creates the storms because he wants, he wants to do something in our lives. And he's not afraid of, ma- of making storms for us. So think about what that means. And I'm not sure, but, I, you know, again, that's been debated theologically. But Jesus made them go into this storm full well, knowing the storm was coming. And so um, and so they go into this storm, and something amazing happens. He sees them straining 
He's straining. He's pushing them into this storm. And then he sees them straining. And the word literally, again, I just love it when you, get, you start peeling into the, into the, the actual text. It, mean, it was torture. It means the word strained means to torture or to vex with grievous pain and to harass. Like Jesus sent them into the storm knowing they were going to be pressed to their limit. Now, some of you in this room, like I'm looking at some of you guys, I can, you can always tell the guys in the, in the room, the men and women that have trained with weights. And you can always tell those of us who didn't train with weights. It's completely obvious, isn't it? Can't, there's nothing there. There's never been anything there. Because whenever I got in the weight room and the time was to really work hard, I didn't push myself. I didn't, have, I didn't put myself in a community that pushed me. And so, so my muscular development was never what it could have been. I think if you want to be strong, you've got to get in a community of people that you're going to lift with and work with and strain with. Am I, am I, would that be true? And I didn't do that. And in the Christian life, we're like, man, I don't want to get in a position where i got to strain, where it's going to be tough. And sometimes Jesus is like, no, I want you in that. And I want, you to, I want you to feel tortured by that. I haven't talked a lot about Kensington, but I will tell you one thing. Starting Kensington, I knocked on almost 3,000 doors, inviting people to, to come to the church. And I was also doing a survey of why people didn't go to church. I did it over a course of a year and a half. And uh, literally for years had problem of sunburn on my, because I was too dumb to put sunscreen on my top of my ears. And so I would literally come in, and, 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 and uh, the, when I first started doing it, I, I did it in the middle of the day, when, and this was back when a lot of women still weren't working. This was 1987, 88, 89, and they weren't. And so, so here I'm walking up, like, okay, I'm walking up to your door. You have no idea who I am. Women, I would say, hey, can I say, uh, I'd like to ask a couple questions about church. I'm starting a church, and about half the people would say no, half people would say yeah. It's very demeaning. And so about 50% of the women would actually answer. I had questions like, do you go to church? And if the answer is yes, I'd say, thank you very much for your time, and I'd leave. But if they would say, no, we don't go to church, I said, can I ask you a couple of questions about that? I'd say, well, why, why don't you go to church? I do this whole thing. Well, half of the women I talked to would talk to me with the chain across the, across the door. So they're literally, I'm literally interviewing people like this because they're smart, you know. And I learned so much about people. But it's interesting. It, it just was, I wanted, to be, I wanted to know what people were thinking. And here's the, here's the, here's the interesting part. Of those 3,000 doors, I talked about 2,000 people. I also recruited other, uh, other people on. But, but, but of that door-to-door, did anybody want to guess how many of them actually came to the start of Kensington? Anybody want to guess? Give me a good number. Five. Okay, that's pretty good. Anybody else? A hundred. Wow, that would be great. The answer is zero. Not one person came. It was torture. Like, I'm like, God, why are you allowing that to happen? And at the same time, there were really, there were good friends of mine that were super talented that I knew that if they came and helped me, the church would take off. And if they didn't, the church wasn't going to take off. So like uh, Mark Nelson, 
was our arts director and creative director. Mark, Mark's having triple bypass on Friday, two days from now. And Kensington exploded because of Mark Nelson. I didn't have anything to do with it. He created incredible music and drama and creativity, and literally people were talking about it all over the city of Detroit for years. And if Mark hadn't come, and he, 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 he resisted me for two and a half years. He didn't know it was God's will for him to join me. Remember, I, you know, like, Mark, this is going to be great. Well, it was great. But along the way, you're like, this is never going to happen. We're never going to make it to shore. And then Jesus shows up to this hostile environment. And it says he's about to pass by. And, and, and you can think, what is Jesus doing here? He's passing by and freaking them out. They think he's an apparition. And then he has this amazing moment where he goes, don't be afraid, it is I. Now, does anybody know what, the, what Jesus actually said? I am, right. You know, you, you know your story. He goes up and goes, hey, don't be afraid, I am. Ego a me, I am. It's an amazing moment, because, but they don't understand. They didn't understand about the hearts that were hardened, that the, the loaves multiplied because he's the great I am. He's way bigger. He's more than they thought he was. Jesus sends them out into this, and he says, I am, and he says, uh, don't be afraid. By the way, Sunday school lesson, for any of you who remember this, how many times does God, in the Old and New Testament, does God tell us, don't be afraid? Does anybody remember that number? 365, the one for every day of the year. It's amazing, isn't it? And why did he do that? Because he knew we were going to be afraid. We're going to be afraid today. I have things I'm afraid about right now. And God is asking me to list those and give those to him and pray about them. And then it says, when the wind died down, it, it, he stopped the wind. That's what it means. He, it says, cease from raging. He stopped the wind. And then again, um, I'm going to, ready to finish up here. This is pretty cool. It says, they were astonished. This is, again, where they marveled along the way. So we've had this word repeatedly throughout Mark. This, existed, this is where uh, when they saw Jesus heal people, they said that we marvel. He does all things. We've never seen anybody like this. And then when Jesus' family comes, they say, they say Jesus is amazed, but this time they mean he's out of their mind. But, and then Jesus keeps amazing people along the way. And I thought about this, and uh, this is my challenge for us when I think about this first talk. When you think about what God is doing, Jesus invites us to live in one of two ways. We can live in fear or we can live amazed. And I think it's honestly, I really think it's a choice of the glass half full or half empty. You know, uh, they always tease about the optimistic boy that was always getting mistreated by his family. And remember, he gets a, he gets a sack of manure under the Christmas tree as his Christmas present. Do you remember that? You guys heard this story? You old enough to remember this story? And the boy is such an optimist, he immediately drops the bag and runs to the window to see where the horse is that's been given him for Christmas. I think that's how Jesus wants us to live.
Because Jesus is always bringing the horse. Uh, even when, you, when you're holding the bag of poop, the horse is coming. I really believe that. I really believe that. And to live with the, the optimism and the hope. And part of this then is to start seeing the image of God in every human being you encounter. To realize that every human being has a unique calling and gift from God. And so when I finish here, in about one minute, we take a break and we come back. We're supposed to do a QA. and I want to try something new that I've never done before. If you, if, if you would stick around, some of you, I'd love to pass the mic around. And I would love for the rest of us to hear from each other how God is calling you to engage the part of the world that you're living in, the thing that you're maybe stepping into with your family or your homeschool or ministry at your church or whatever, or maybe it's something you feel like God is nudging you to step into. I'm wondering if you would be willing, just like 30, 30 seconds or a minute at a time, to share that with each other so that we can hear that and know that and be praying for each other. I've never tried that, but I thought, what did I really want to do with that time? That would be incredible. And then maybe there's some time you actually have a question you'd like to ask me. I'd love to step into it if you want to talk about uh, transitioning from raising kids to living with adult children. That's something I have a lot of experience at and uh, other things that you might want to talk about. But I would love for you to think about is God's calling me back to my local place. How am I going to live amazed at the goodness of God? It's a choice because God's working in ways that you can't see or we can just continue and we're going to struggle. And, and, and I would almost say it's like this. This is my last comment for this, for this Jesus over fear and nature, both. Jesus is, is, is enough. He's more than we thought. And then to go, I know I'm going to live in fear. But every time I find myself doing it, I, I'm talking now, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. I know I'm going to live in fear. But every time I do, I go, Lord, I'm, I'm waiting for you to show up and do something beautiful in this moment. So that's just, I just think that's the story of the Christian life. So let me pray, and we'll take a break. And in about 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, we'll come back and, and, uh, I would love it if, if we could, uh, I'd like to just go around with the mic in the room and let's talk about what God is leading, calling us to do. And it might even be a question about the, the ministry or the work in your church or whatever that God is calling you to do. And I, think, and I think if you'll do it, we'll be all be incredibly encouraged by how God is working in the midst of this group. Okay? So Lord, thank you for this incredible blessing and work that you're doing and kind of just uh, lead and connect us. Uh, to be praying for each other and cheering each, each other on. But Lord, I just want to thank you that you're with us in the storms of life. And we know, because we know what, what aging and, and life, we just know the storms get bigger. They don't get smaller. They get bigger. That you're with us in the storm, and then right when we're most worn out and fatigued, you come to us in the storm. And so help us to shake off the fear that dogs us every day, and to live amazed at the goodness of the presence of your Holy Spirit working in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.